0: Welcome to the official Slate Star Codex podcast for September 13th, 2018. Title, The Omnigenic Model as Metaphor for Life. The collective intellect is change-blind. Knowledge gained seems so natural that we forget what it was like not to have it. Plaget says children gain long-term memory at age four and don't learn abstract thought until 10. Do you remember what it was like to not have abstract thought? We underestimate our intellectual progress because every sliver of knowledge acquired gets back-propagated unboundedly into the past. For decades, people talked about the gene for height, the gene for intelligence, etc., Was the gene for intelligence on chromosome 6? Was it on the X chromosome? What happens if your baby doesn't have the gene for intelligence? Can they still succeed? Meanwhile, the responsible experts were saying traits might be determined by two-digit number of genes. Human Genome Project leader Francis Collins estimated that there were about 12 genes for diabetes and all of them will be discovered in the next two years. Quantum Magazine reminds us of a 1999 study which claimed that perhaps more than 15 genes might contribute to autism. By the early 2000s, the American Psychological Association was a little more cautious, was saying intelligence might be linked to dozens, if not hundreds, of genes. The most recent estimate for how many genes are involved in complex traits like height or intelligence is approximately all of them. By the latest count, about 20,000. From this side of the veil, it all seems so obvious. It's hard to remember back a mere 20 or 30 years ago when people earnestly awaited the gene for depression. It's hard to remember the studies powered to find genes that increased height by an inch or two. It's hard to remember all the crappy, p-hacked results that, okay, we found the gene for extroversion, here it is. It's hard to remember all the editorials in The Guardian about how since nobody had found the gene for IQ yet, genes don't matter, science is fake, and Galileo was a witch. And even remembering those times, they seem incomprehensible. Like, really? Only a few visionaries considered the hypothesis that the most complex and subtle of human traits might depend on more than one protein? Only the boldest revolutionaries dared to ask whether maybe cystic fibrosis was not the best model for the entirety of human experience? This side of the veil, instead of looking for the gene for intelligence, we try to find polygenic scores— Given the person's entire genome, what function best predicts their intelligence? The most recent such effort uses over a thousand genes and is able to predict 10% of variability in educational attainment. This isn't much, but it's a heck of a lot better than anyone was able to do under the old dozen genes model. And it's getting better every year in the way healthy paradigms are supposed to. Genetics is interesting as an example of a science that overcame a diseased paradigm. For years, basically all candidate gene studies were fake. How come we can't find genes for anything was never as popular as Where's my flying car? as a symbol of how science never advances in the way we optimistically feel like it should. But it could have been. And now it works. What lessons can we draw from this, Four domains that still seem disappointing and intractable? The turn of the millennium behavioral genetics was intractable because it was more polycausal than anyone expected. Everything interesting was an excruciating interaction of a thousand different things. You had to know all those things to predict anything at all. So nobody predicted anything, and all apparent predictions were fake. Modern genetics is healthy and functional because it turns out that although genetics isn't easy, it is simple. Yes, there are three billion base pairs in the human genome, but each of those pairs is a nice, clean, discrete unit with one of four values. In a way, saying everything has three billion possible causes is a mercy. It's placing an upper bound on how terrible genetics can be. The secret of genetics was that there was no secret. You just had to drop the optimistic assumption that there was any shortcut other than measuring all 3 billion different things and get busy doing the measuring. The field was maximally perverse. But with enough advances in sequencing and computing, even the maximum possible level of perversity turns out to be within the limits of modern computing. This is an oversimplification. If it were really maximally perverse, chaos theory would be involved somehow. Maybe a better claim is that it hits the maximum perversity bound in one specific dimension. One possible lesson here is that the sciences where progress is hard are the ones that have what seem like an unfair number of tiny interacting causes that determine everything. We should go from trying to discover the cause to trying to find out which factors we need to create the best polycausal model. And we should go from seeking a flash of genius that helps sweep away the complexity to figuring out how to manage complexity that cannot be swept away. Late 90s, early aughts psychiatry was a lot like late 90s, early aughts genetics. The public was talking about the cause of depression, serotonin. And the responsible experts were saying, oh no, depression might be caused by as many as several different things. Now the biopsychosocial model has caught on and everyone agrees that depression is complicated. I don't know if we're still at the dozens of things stage or the hundreds of things stage, but I don't think anyone seriously thinks it's fewer than a dozen the structure of depression seems different from the structure of genetic traits in that one cause can still have a large effect. Multiple sclerosis might explain less than 1% of the variance in depressiveness, but there will be a small sample of depressives whose condition is almost entirely because of multiple, multiple sclerosis. But overall, I think the analogy to genetics is a good one. If this is true, what can psychiatry and maybe other low rate of progress sciences learn from genetics? One possible lesson is there are more causes than you think. Stop looking for a cause or the 10 causes and start figuring out ways to deal with very numerous causes. There are a bunch of studies that are basically like this one, Lincoln Post, linking depression to zinc deficiency. They are good as far as they go, but it's hard to really know what to do with them. It's like finding one gene for intelligence. Okay, that explains 0.1% of the variability. Now what? We might imagine trying to combine all these findings into a polycausal score. Take millions of people, measure a hundred different variables, everything from their blood zinc levels to the serotonin metabolites in their spinal fluid, to whether their mother loved them as a child. Then do statistics on them and see how much of the variance in depression we can predict based on the inputs. Do statistics on them is a heck of a black box. Genes are kind of pristine and causally unidirectional. But all of these psychological factors probably influence each other in a hundred different ways. In practice, I think this would end up as a horribly expensive boondoggle that didn't work at all. But in theory, I think this is what a principled attempt to understand depression would look like. Understand depression might be the wrong term here. It conflates being able to predict a construct with knowing what real-world phenomenon the construct refers to. We are much better at finding genes for intelligence than at understanding exactly what intelligence is is, and whether it's just a convenient statistical construct or a specific brain parameter. By analogy, we can imagine a Martian anthropologist who correctly groups having a big house, driving a sports car, and wearing designer clothes into a construct called wealth, and is able to accurately predict wealth from a model including variables like occupation and Ethnicity and educational attainment, but who doesn't understand that wealth equals having lots of money. I think it's still unclear to what degree intelligence and depression have a simple real world wealth equals lots of money style correspondence, though see here and here links and posts. A more useful lesson might be skepticism about personalized medicine. Personalized medicine the idea that I can read your genome and your blood test results and whatever and tell you what antidepressant or supplement or form of therapy is right for you has been a big idea over the past decade. And so far, it's mostly failed. A massively polycausal model would explain why. The average personalized medicine company gives you recommendations based on at most a few things zinc levels, gut flora balance, etc. If there are dozens or hundreds of things, then you need the full, massively polycausal model, which, as mentioned before, is computationally intractable, at least without a lot more work. You can still have some personalized medicine. We don't have to know the causes of depression to treat it. You might be depressed because your grandfather died, but Prozac can still make you feel better. So it's possible that there's a simple, personalized, monocausal way to check who, e.g., responds better to Prozac versus Lexapro, though the latest evidence isn't really bullish about this. But this seems different from a true personalized medicine where we determine the root cause of your depression and fix it in a principled way. Even if we can't get much out of this, I think it can be helpful just to ask which factors and sciences are olicausal versus massively polycausal? For example, what percent of variability in firm success are economists able to determine? Does most of the variability come from a few big things like talented CEOs, or does most of it come from a million tiny, unmeasurable causes like, how often does Lisa in marketing get her reports in on time? Maybe this is really stupid. I'm neither a geneticist or a statistician, but I imagine an alien society where science is centered around polycausal scores. Instead of publishing a paper claiming that lead causes crime, they publish a paper giving the latest polycausal score for predicting crime and demonstrating that they can make it much more accurate by including lead as a variable. I don't think you can do this in real life. You would need bigger big data than anybody wants to deal with. But like falsifiability and compressibility, I think it's a useful thought experiment to keep in mind when imagining what science should be like. This audio version of Slate Star Codex is provided with the permission of Scott Alexander. I am not Scott. I'm Jeremiah. And you can find me at wearenotsaved.com where I also have a podcast. For anyone wishing to reference this content, please do so by linking to the original post. If you think having an audio version of Slate Star Codex is valuable, and you have nothing better to do with your money, consider donating at patreon.com sscpodcast, or leave us a review somewhere. Until next time.